following message is from the 2021 Leader Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information on Harbor Network, please visit www.harbornetwork.com. Let me redirect back towards the book of Ephesians because where I left us and where we're going to be heading into this, further into this conversation about the nature of conflict and how are we to think about spiritual warfare? I want to pick up where we were, however, and, and Paul demonstrating something for us. One, his, his own heart, and, and we, can, we can certainly draw from Scripture certain things that probably were a part of his lifestyle, what we call the means of grace. Uh, Paul talked a lot about the gift of friendship. He talked about like in 2 Corinthians when he was so overwhelmed with sadness, God who comforts the downcast sent Titus. Listen, always humble yourself to do what we just did. Please, please, please. One of the greatest memories I have of Jack Miller, Jack would call me from someplace in the world as his wife, Rosemarie, who's still 96 and ministering the gospel in London, they gave the gift of weakness. Just this week, Rosemarie said, will you pray for me right now? I'm supposed to teach from 1 Thessalonians and all I got is crickets to give them. Thought, what a great image. She's saying, may the Spirit stir my heart afresh. Jack would pray, Scotty, he would call some somewhere uh, overseas, street preaching, whatever. Scotty, st- pray for me that um, I will love Jesus the way he is worthy. And, and I said, I, I will, Jack, I'll write it down. No, pray right now. Something about really knowing, we, we give each other this gift of sharing, burden-bearing love. And the Lord does do that. And, and, and C.S. Lewis once said that friendship begins at the point of looking across the table and saying, me too. And that doesn't, that's not a Debbie Downer. It's a Holy Ghost upper because something about the collective, you know, coming to Jesus together. It's why that, you know, perhaps no better uh, image would exist for a church planning network than that story in Mark of, of four friends bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Only everybody taking turns on the pallet, right? Always taking each other to Jesus. Well, we made a comment about the importance between the connection between good theology that we want to continue to be growing in. Absolutely, please, 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 please don't hear anything beginning to say we're too weighted in the area of theology. No, what we are saying is we want things that we know to be true. It's the Spirit's joy to make them just fresh. It's what sometimes we refer to as uh, knowing the lyric and the music of the gospel that you might know the dance of the gospel. The lyric, the melody, and I've just got a little demonstration to show you what that might be like. You know, you can read any part of the Bible and turn it into a snoozer for yourself and others. I don't care what it is. But just to demonstrate that in a different way about the vital importance of the Spirit stirring our hearts. Let me just read some poetry here. Some of you will recognize this. Some of you aren't hip enough, but... um, Do you remember 21st night of September? (laughs) Love was changing the mind of pretenders while chasing clouds away. Our hearts were ringing in the key that our souls were singing as we danced in the night. 
Remember how the stars stole the night away? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Baidiya say. Do you remember? Baidiya dancing in September. Baidiya never was a cloudy day. Well, that really moved you deeply, right? Well, let's crank it up a little bit. Same song. As a non-dancer, I can't sit still. And isn't it interesting, the theme of remembering? A lot of good Lom songs are saying, do you remember? You know, you are dead if you don't want to get up and... I know some of you wish I'd have done holy, 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 or... Now, cheesy, okay, write me up. <laughs> but you see, there is something truly profound about a God that says to us, here's what I remember. Do you remember? And even the theology of the Spirit that is just so life-giving, you know, the images of the Trinity that are far more a picture of Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect intimacy and joy and passion, never needing anything, but opening up the reality of an eternity of non-needing to be generous out the wazoo. Wazoo's not in Greek or Hebrew, but you get the point. That's what the gospel is. God's simply calling us into fellowship with himself. It's why we heard again last night, our fellowship is with the Father, our fellowship with Jesus, our fellowship is with you. Men and women, can you even begin to imagine what life is gonna be like in the new heaven and new earth? We should, because you see, every church we plant, every church that starts off well, goes through the various seasons that most churches do, when it gets hard, when we lose our first love, when we get distracted, and yet we hear God saying, I know it, and it's worse than you think. Trust me, I love you as much now as when it was just so absolutely precious to you. And it's why Paul, next in this letter, takes this theme of the power of the Spirit, Paul's saying, I don't stop praying for churches in Ephesus and therefore churches everywhere that in light of this robust, august, most glorious propositional theology that's just, just overwhelmingly, bodaciously relational, that it, be, that it might be renewed in your heart, the hope to which you've been called the glorious inheritance that you have and are, the great power that's for us who believe. Well, turn now to Ephesians 3, and we'll see after just a unique shifting in the letter where Paul goes with this picking up this theme again about what do you mean that we would have power? See, my generation, some of us in the, in the Jesus movement, we saw power more as a cosmic energy pack we strapped on to do more, try harder. It was, uh, 
It was really just something that we saw as, okay, you need, you need gifts to do what God supernaturally wants to do in your community, which I would not decry. And, and as a non-cessationist, personally, I'm so thankful that we are to continue in light of complete revelation to thank God that he does by his Holy Spirit minister gifts. But it's not my gifts. I don't have the gifts of. God sovereignly reveals his wonder-working power as he chooses But this power most expressly in Ephesians is not about that. It's an image that we go to now in chapter three and then an image in chapter four. And then I'll use my remaining time to help us think about in union with Christ, what is Ephesians six really all about? So in Ephesians three, you know how the letter picks up. He's just continuing and then he, there's a, there's a kind of a, a digression. I'm so thankful Paul, like me, had a little bit of ADD, so he could just kind of go over here for a while and come back. And he, in verse 14, now reorients us towards one of the ways God is going to answer the prayer that we would know the great resurrection power of Jesus in our hearts and midst. How does Paul target that? How does he locate it? How does he focus it? You go being strong, strong enough to withstand the criticism of cynics. You know what? That would never be enough. There are some things we only do in response to robust, fresh, renewing heart love from Abba, Father, and the love of Jesus. That's why Paul prays this, for this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father, and the Greek literally says, from whom all fatherhood derives its meaning. There's really no English translation that conveys that. But if you go back and look at the text, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's locating the concept of father in God. We're not projecting upon God our favorite image of father. Paul's saying, I kneel before the quintessential father, the father who defines all fathering, all reparenting, the glorious father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through, the, through his spirit in your inner being. Now, here's where this theme of, of the power we need and how we want to ask God to pray for fresh infillings of the Holy Spirit, how I would encourage us, not limited to this, but absolutely focusing on this. What does Paul say? I pray that you, and this is all plural imperatives, Gospel is never private. It's eminently personal. But there's something about having a vision for a collective movement of renewing spirit work in the culture. I heard Dave say this morning, we're wanting to steward our culture better than ever. Here's one of the ways we will do it. There will be specific praying our own in our own hearts, our marriages, our church families, but as a movement. How do we want to pray? I pray that you being rooted and established in love, isn't that a bold affirmation of what's already true about us? We are rooted and cannot be uprooted from the love of God. 
We are established in the love of God. God cannot love his sons and daughters more than he does today, and he will never love us less. He loves us, each of us, as much as he loves Jesus. Now, as soon as I say that phrase, my quiet prayer is, Lord, I know that, I believe it's in the Bible, and I am so filled with unbelief. Hallelujah, you delight in repentance, and grace runs downhill. So you might be sitting there saying, oh, that that were true. It is true. And it's why Paul finishes the prayer. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. Again, there's just something beautiful here about shared neediness, shared weakness. You not showing up at a conference or some of us choosing not to come to a conference because we know we'll be asked the questions, how are you doing? And I'm either gonna lie or be honest and disappoint you. You know, I'm so thankful that from the beginning, when you were Sojourn Community Church Movement before you became Harpoon Movement Network, <laughs> I'm kidding you. I'm so glad there's always been a degree of real honesty about the way you relate. I'm thankful from the inception of these 10 years, this bunch hasn't been filled up with as much hype, as much as longing. Thank you. Steward that. What does Paul pray? Power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is, not will be, is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, sometimes I'm only praying for a parking place. <laughs> and here, God our Father, by the spirit of revelation, based on the finished work of Jesus, is saying, here's how we pray. We know that we're sealed and dwelt, called to surrender out of reverence for Jesus, which is love for him, to surrender to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and God is faithful, and as he does. Just think about this. Again, we don't need to, once again, do something Paul isn't doing. Uh, uh, you've all heard sermons, read books, commentaries, perhaps. You've done your own teaching on these four quadrants, and you've connected height and width and depth to various aspects of the history of redemption and to parts of the gospel. That's not wrong. It's really not wrong. But you know what? You can do that and just be proud of your outline. Do you see how deeply personal this is? It's why earth, wind, and fire, just a little something in your bones. Was, okay, is that after hours music? Is that what we do? You know, after preaching that we can go and listen to earth, wind, and fire. Dear, dear friends, who's the Lord of the earth and the wind and the fire? Who prays for your joy? Who prays for your tears? Who's called you to suffer with him, not for him? You're not called to suffer for Jesus, but with Jesus. Paul makes it so clear in Romans 8. 
we suffer with him. You're not alone. You have a father who inside of you is giving you the spirit of adoption. That's not just something the Holy Spirit does. It's who he is. Why does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? To constantly, nonstop, even in your sleep, tell you that you belong to this father who loves you, who's making you like Jesus when you're snoring and when you're reading the Bible. He will complete the good work in you. He will complete the good work in his world. We don't call a missionary in Afghanistan a failure because after seven years, they have one half of a convert. We say, thank you. Because you know, one day, the knowledge of the glory of God is gonna cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And it keeps you there. Because you know, Afghanistan and Maine and Oahu and Siberia, they all belong to this father. This is our father's world. Height, depth, width, and breadth, and to know the love of Christ. A love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that, isn't that an exquisite image? You're never gonna exhaust it, even in eternity. I don't know what your thoughts are, theology, ponderments, favorite books, meditations on heaven are, but please, 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 please let them go so far beyond simply being out of this mess and you wearing a white robe and eating all the fried chicken you want, singing Bill Gaither hymns forever. <laughs> the most dynamic place since Eden is gonna be life in the new heaven and new earth. And it'll be an endless discovery of the glory of our God and the majesty. There will be a culture making that goes on together. The family is complete and it's such a big family. How big is the family? It's as numerous as stars, sand, and dust by God's declaration. Those are the mathematics of his mercy. Sometimes you feel like it's just three of you. It's why the book of Hebrews written to a congregation suffering bids us look up and to see what? That our worship and our storefront church and our little COVID online church, it's joined to the worship of the numberless multitude of righteous saints with spirits made perfect and numberless angels. That's going on now. And, and in union with Jesus, that's what's going on. The fullness of God. And then this glorious benediction, then I will transition into my, something I will read to keep me in task about Ephesians 6 that I pray will be helpful. Look at this incredible, even before the end of the letter. Is this not amazing? Once again, it's it's Paul so doxologically alive. He's saying these things. He's feeling these things. He's believing these things. He's communicating these things. He's not jerking somebody around. He's not pushing the church. He's leading the church. And this is why he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. 
Now, I, I read that, and I love every word in it, and I love thinking as a teacher, as a preacher, writer like you. I love thinking about, oh my goodness, just think about how much of the Old Testament is showing up here, and, and this promise finds its fulfillment in this image. And here now, Paul, by the eye of the faith, is already anticipating. Listen, yes, please, 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 please do that. Enjoy that. But is this the God that you know to be advocating for you right now in your church, the one who does immeasurably more, who is at work. Dear friends, the book of Revelation, probably the best subtext of that book is things are not as they appear. There's so much going on that we don't know. And as C.S. Lewis said, heaven is not going to be finally getting all those Questions answered. C.S. Lewis said, if all you think about heaven is giving God your 10 thorniest questions and finally get satisfaction, then you need to understand this. As soon as you see the living God in that day, you make confetti with that little piece of paper. The questions go away when you see the one who loves you as not other. Well, until that day, there is conflict. And there's another image I would have liked to have taken a little time in Ephesians 4. Well, I'm going to mention it briefly because you've got to study it. Look in Ephesians 4 because it is, again, it's a part of our identity and our reality. In Ephesians 4, go back and study this one and preach it to your heart and then to others. Um, and, and Ephesians 4, verse 7, there's an image that Paul borrows from the Old Testament that that warrants more reflection and more awe and more worship because what Paul does in, in verse seven, he says, and listen, you need to understand this. You know, as the people of God, loved of God beyond your wildest imagination, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're sealed. You've got the first fruits of life in the new world already wherever you are. This is true, this is true. Uh, there's the music to this gospel he's gonna make even fresh and real to you. But here's also something that uh, Paul says is true. Think of yourselves now as those who are, who are living and doing ministry in a parade. Now, in, in verse four, what does he say? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, what some argue from Psalm 68 what Paul is doing is turning on its head the old image of a conquering king coming through a city, spoiling it, and creating a parade of shame, and taking the captives, and taking the, the, the images of worship from the temples and the treasury of the kings, and parading them in shame through the streets saying, you are now mine and all of this is mine. Paul says, this king is different. Oh, you are in a triumphal possession. And guess what? The Bible's not telling a story. We read the end of the book and we win. No, we read the end of the book and the lamb has triumphed even over us. And we are now in a parade of grace. And rather than taking gifts from us, he gives gifts to us. And this parade is gonna lead all the way in to the new heaven and new earth. Brothers and sisters, this isn't silly. It's not sentimental. It's gospel sanity. And in a two-year stretch where we have had so many different narratives screaming at us, 
some of them satanically authored, some out of our sheer exhaustion we have just not resisted. This is the truth, finishing with this image. Well, again, so much more, but in Ephesians 6, there in verse 10, and I'm going to pull out notes so that you know really am, I'm going to keep us on task here. Um, I remember the first time I ever went through this picture of conflict and what it means to show up in a world that just so hates Jesus and hates the church. And I remember, I don't know if it was at a vacation Bible school, whatever else, but just some big dude, some big deacon coming out and the Roman, you know, the Roman wear, you know, and, and the assumption was this, when Paul wrote about the armor of God, he just was thinking, here's a big Roman centurion over there and look at all that armor and helmets and all that stuff. And nowhere does the Bible suggest there was ever in the mind of Paul a Roman soldier that he now basically set us up to be like David going into Saul and being weighted down with stuff we cannot carry. Let me tell you what I really believe this means. First of all, look in Ephesians 10, 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, not for the Lord. Please get over being strong for the Lord. Be weak for the Lord. Because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I'm going to read this now, then I will pray. I uh, had the privilege of, of, of writing a steady guide for New Growth Press on Ephesians uh, because it really has been one of the most important books in my life. And, and through study, this is some conclusion that I came to, not because I figured it out, but taking the time to really to listen to the Bible. And I simply want to read these words and pray for us and... Um, and um, uh, I think when well, my friend Matt over here sit at the surge table, they have a copy of my Ephesians study guide to give away. What a, what a great way to get you to move to Lower Slobovia. Come, let me give you a study guide and you can sign on to give your life away with surge, which by the way, would not be a bad thing. All right. As the Messiah... Jesus fulfills the promise of every piece of armor described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. As we live in faith union and robust communion with Jesus, this entire armament is ours, the belt of truth. Jesus is the belt-wearing Messiah promised in Isaiah 11, 5 through 9, who will bring comprehensive and cosmic peace to God's broken world. On the basis of this finished work, Jesus will usher in the day when the knowledge of God will fill the earth. Jesus doesn't just wear a belt of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life for which we long. He is God's final word to us, full of grace and truth, the breastplate of righteousness. For the salvation of his people, Isaiah describes God putting on a breastplate of righteousness because the righteousness of his people is nothing more than filthy rags. The fulfillment of this promise happened when Jesus became our unrighteousness on the cross that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through the gospel, not just our breast, but our whole being now wears the perfect righteousness of Christ. Shoes of readiness and gospel peace 
as the Messiah, Jesus came heralding the day of salvation and peace with God. But as Isaiah promised, this grand grace salvation would require the substitutionary life and death of the Messiah. Jesus's feet took him steadfastly to the cross so our feet can run with the gospel to the nations. Indeed, in union with the Christ, we don't run from the devil. We submit ourselves to Jesus, resist the devil's ploys, and is the devil who flees from us, precious ones in Christ. We do spiritual warfare from a place of understanding his head has been crushed. The devil is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. We're not Zoroastrian, pitting good versus evil. We are in this one, the shield of faith. God promised Abram he would redeem a people as vast as a star, sand, and dust. He also promised to be Abram's shield, not shield giver. God himself was the very provision and protection Abram would need to become Abraham, the father of nations. Every generation since has joined King David in proclaiming, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. We don't trust in faith. We trust in God. Jesus is the shield to which we are united by faith. It's not the size of our faith that matters, but the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the helmet of salvation. Wearing the helmet of salvation, God waged a successful war against evil, sin, and death by planting the hill of his son squarely on the head of the serpent. We don the helmet of salvation as we surrender our thoughts and thinking to Jesus. For all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. The gospel transform us through the renewing of our minds. Sword of the Spirit, speaking before his incarnation, the Messiah declared through Isaiah, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, Isaiah 49, 1 and 2. Jesus is the personification, focus, and fulfillments of the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. At his return, the book of Revelation envisions the sword of the Lord coming from Jesus's mouth. He will speak eternal judgment on evil and eternal delights for his bride. Lastly, praying in the spirit at all times. What a fitting conclusion to Paul's Christ-exalting admonitions about spiritual warfare. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in keeping with the mind and heart of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's great joy and work to exalt Jesus in our hearts and to bear witness to our sonship. Therefore, we pray in the Spirit as we marinate, linger, and abide in the great truths of the gospel, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Heart-engaged adoration proceeds precedes spirit-empowered supplication as we see Jesus enthroned at God's right hand and we cry out, Abba, Father, with gratitude and confidence, we do battle well for the battle belongs to the Lord. Our faith is strengthened and our fears topple. We discover the promises of God claim us more than we claim them. Praying in the spirit will always lead to a life of worship and mission which is clearly envisioned in Paul's concluding words to the Ephesian believers. My brothers and sisters, grace to all 
who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. May the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, the spirit who is in our hearts making much of Jesus renew, refresh, enliven us, overwhelm us with a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Though we have not seen him, we do love him. And though we do not see him now, we are filled with a joy that he freely gives us. Would you pray with me as we conclude? Oh, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, it just feels like we barely scratched the surface of so much wonder in these verses. And the good news is that's absolutely true. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithfully at work. Thank you, Father, for the Spirit. Thank you that conflicting is not for Jesus, but with Jesus. Jesus, you are the peacemaker. Jesus, you are the shalom advancer. Jesus, you are the one that wage war for us, that bring peace to us and through us. And whatever that looks like right now in concluding, Father, for these whom you cherish so much, whatever the conflicts are, what, what, whatever the intensity of this warfare, where it is most focused, I pray this overwhelming, inexhaustible love and loveliness of Jesus would be brought to bear in clear and transforming and empowering ways. Hallelujah, what a salvation. Hallelujah, what a Savior we have in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 